0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Capitalize Your Fridays. I'm Taylor McGowan, Senior Wealth Design Specialist at Altius Financial, and I'm joined by my co host, Mike Williams, founder and president of Altius Financial. Hey, everybody. So today's episode is Maxing Your Savings. Today, we're going to discuss some different types of accounts you can save into and really just how to maximize your savings. I feel like People hear the common phrase of, okay, I have like a 401k and I get 2% match. So if I match it with 2%, that is maximizing my savings, so to say, is what they're thinking. We're going to kind of clarify the truths behind that or the falsehoods behind that and really just get into the concept of how to really maximize your savings.
1: Yeah, this is a cool topic. I mean, this is a mindset. If you're a saver, investor, you've adopted this mindset and it's a cool, interesting topic that I'm looking forward to talking to you. But first, We have to do our disclaimer. Just a quick reminder that any discussion that we're having today or any of our podcasts is not meant for specific or direct advice to anyone particularly. We recommend reaching out to your financial team or reaching out to us directly if you are looking for a specific investment advice or or want to get our opinion. If you're looking for a financial team or direct advice on your planning, feel free to reach out to either taylor or I at altiusfinancial.com. You can reach us at our email address, taylor at altiusfinancial.com or michael at altiusfinancial.com. But give us a holler, let us know what you're thinking. And we're again, excited about this topic.
0: Yeah. So I kind of broke this one down into three different categories. I feel a lot of people think, okay, well, I have some debt. Maybe I can't save yet. So we've got the debt payoff versus savings. The next category is okay. Well, what account do I even save in? And then the last category is really just how much should I be saving? So let's start off with like debt payoff versus savings. So Mike, if I have debt, can I still save? Like I got a mortgage. I don't have a mortgage, but let's say I have a mortgage. Can I still be saving?
1: Well, let's even. I, go I got back.
0: that's a huge amount of debt.
1: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but let's even go back further. Yeah, you know, what saving what? Uh, A person first has to have an income, which means they have to be producing. They have to have a job or or be producing income. One of the first rules of financial planning, and I learned this a long time ago from many different sources, but I read a book called The Richest Man in Babylon, which I would highly recommend. But the first rule of getting rich, according to The Richest Man in Babylon, and according to thousands of years of people who are successful investors and savers, is start thy purse too fattening, which means (laughs) saving, but that also means you've got to have an income. You've got to have an income to save some of, but that that's a good question. When you talk about debt payoff versus savings and it's, it's an individualized question, right? It depends on how much debt you have, how much your income is. We talk sometimes about debt to income ratios and that sort of thing. So the answer, short, short answer is it depends, right?
0: Yeah. Well, and I, I think you and I have both discussed that we kind of live in a I want everything economy. I want it now. I it's okay, that's fine. I will put it on my credit card, I'll buy a loan, I'll I feel we live in a very consumer focused environment. And so I think a lot of listeners might have debt of some kind. They might, maybe it's a car loan, maybe it's a mortgage, maybe it's a student loan, but it's all because in our society, and this is not entirely a bad thing. It means that we can live more of our lives. We can have greater things than just the dollars that we have right now in the bank, because you can spread that out over a lifetime or a lifetime of that loan. But I think coming into something with saying, okay, well, if I do have any debt, can I do savings? And I would like to clarify that it's not like Mike said, it's not black and white. It's not, okay, you can't have any savings because you have some debts, but you want to definitely weigh it. Like if you have a 20% interest rate credit card sitting there and you only have $10 to save, put that $10 (laughs) towards that credit card because you're not getting that on a CD. There's no guaranteed return that's going to pay you that. And it's a risk to put it in something... In the market, where if you don't know enough about it to say, okay, how am I going to get that twenty percent to match what I'm paying on my credit cards right now?
1: Yeah, it, it's a it's a complex answer because of that interest rate comparison, right? As you said, there's nothing there that is guaranteed to give you really today any positive return. In fact, you're in a real sense you're guaranteed to lose money by having it in a savings account, because there's no, virtually no, it might be 0.001% in your savings account or money market account, but it's virtually zero. And most people who are paying attention to the news at all know that there is some inflation so that the value of our current dollars is going down, which means if you have it just sitting there, it's going negative. And if you do have a 20% credit card, then it's a no brainer. That's a, a 20% plus return in a sense that you're getting by paying off high interest rate credit cards and I sound like a broken record here, I want to emphasize that whole issue of, you know, having productivity, having an income, being able to say, okay, what is my income and what's the best way to allocate it, whether it's towards savings or to debt payoff. You mentioned something we've discussed a bunch, you know, the current culture being one more of not being able to delay gratification, wanting things today. And again, it, as you said, it's a good thing because we can, we can spread our Consumption, or we can increase our consumption sooner and spread the cost over the course of our lifetime or period of a loan, you know, three or four years on a car or something like that, or 30 years on a house. But it all rests on that assumption of having an income to be able to afford it, to be able to to spread it that way, to be able to pay it off. And and I want to emphasize that again. But your point is crucial. you You have to be able to compare the cost of capital or the interest rate you're paying on different loans versus the kind of return you might expect. And the reason why I said it's complicated right now, especially, is that low interest rates sort of reward borrowing and thinking about things short-term. And a person just has to be really conscious when they take out a loan, whether it's a car loan or you know credit card purchase. You know What is this really, really costing me? So you gotta be really conscious when you're first going into debt. And then once you actually have acquired some debt, okay, now what's the best move?
0: Yeah, definitely. So- The simple answer for debt payoff versus savings, it's complicated.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we don't want (laughs) to make it overly complicated. Again, the the example you gave Mm -hmm. is a no-brainer. 20% credit cards versus virtually any kind of saving that a person could do. You know, it's a no-brainer. Pay off the credit cards. You know, that's an easy 20% return. Now, that that also assumes that you have a longer-term strategy. And this is where the emotional component comes in, is that if a person pays down 20% credit cards or, or some kind of you know outrageous interest rate type debt and doesn't have a plan for what they're going to do with the savings once that debt is paid down, they'll lose the momentum and, and they'll probably just go back into the cycle of saying, okay, now I've paid it down and now I can consume more or I can you know fall for that, uh, that short-term thinking of I want this now and I'm willing to put it on the credit card. I'm not, I'm not thinking consciously about, oh, it's going to cost me 20% and that's going to make a big difference over the course of my lifetime and what I really can consume. They're just thinking, oh, I want this thing right now and I'll put it on a card and I'll think about it later. Well, the key is to think now.
0: Yeah. And so putting that into kind of like a example format. So if you're paying off three hundred dollars a month on a credit card and in a couple of months, you're going to have that fully paid off and you're ready to go. After those three months, you want to start saving that $300 a month into a savings account. And it should be pretty easy and natural for you at that point, because you've already built up the mentality of, okay, that $300 comes out every month. It's not there. So you're not going to feel the pain as you would if you were just starting off from the beginning saying, okay, I need to start saving $300. Don't know where it's coming from, but I need to save this. Again, um, once that, you that's create assuming- the habit.
1: That's assuming, yeah, that habit and that mindset of, okay, yeah. now I'm no longer a debtor person. I'm a person who accumulates uh, capital for longer term purposes. I can delay gratification because that gratification isn't that meaningful in the first place. And it's going to be really good for me, my emotional makeup and my self-esteem to say, I have control over my life. I can make longer term decisions. You know, That's one of the key things about investing is is a person who just thinks long-term. They don't think about just the momentary feeling of gratification of, I I bought this. And we all have this. I mean, we all get a, I don't know enough about the brain chemistry, but it's like dopamine or some kind of of thing that happens in our mind when we shop and we buy stuff and it's like, (laughs) okay, I'm going to feel good. And it does, it feels good. And it's addictive almost, but it's very short-term and it's having that mindset of thinking, no, I want the long-term gratification of knowing I'm in control of my life and have more freedom.
0: Yeah, definitely okay, now you've got the momentum, you've paid off your credit cards. Now you got that 300, 500, thousands, multiple thousands that you're saving each month. What account are we going to save it into?
1: And that goes to one of the options. And the options in, in one sense are overwhelming. There's so many different things a person can do with $300 a month today. Wall Street has done a great job or the financial services industry, I should say, not just Wall Street, but the entire financial services industry that includes banking, insurance, Stocks and bonds. The whole financial services industry has done a great job of actually bringing down the threshold for a person to be able to say, "Oh, I can invest. I can be a stock. I can be a stock trader for you know three hundred dollars a month, or I can invest in a long-term insurance policy for three hundred dollars a month, or I can I can put money in the bank and and do things like that." There's so many options, but in a sense, and this is a maybe a whole different segment that we ought to do sometime. But you and I talk to clients when they come in about really it does boil down a fairly few number of Conceptual options, but you and I should talk about. You know, th- there is the first of all the very basic bank savings account type of thing, a traditional savings account at a bank, or a, or what they call high yield savings accounts. If there is such a thing anymore, there you know high yield is, you know, still fractions of a percent. But <laughs> but there's the the bank type loan, and I use that term loan because you're basically if you put money in a bank and you you're saving that way, you're loaning money to the bank. If you buy a CD, if you if you if you have money in a money market. You've loaned it to some other financial institution who's trying to make a spread by taking your money, paying you a little bit, especially right now, a tiny bit, and then loaning it out at a higher higher rate. That's one option.
0: Then you've got the retirement type accounts. So all those number type accounts. So maybe with your employer, you've got like a 401k, a 403b, a 457, any of those four blah, blah, blah numbers.
1: <laughs> four more blah, blah, blah. <laughs> IRS code for, oh, this is some kind of incentive to make me think long-term because it gives me a tax advantage, right? That's funny how you put it, the four blah, blah accounts. Um, <laughs> or
0: IRA, Roth, SEP, any of those retirement type accounts. Those are also great opportunities to save. But the difference between those and the savings accounts that Mike was previously talking about is the retirement accounts put a lot more strings on them. So it's they'll have regulations on when you can take the money out, how much you can put in, how much your employer can put in you might have vesting type schedules with your employer. So when do you even earn those funds where should you leave your employer? Do you get to take that with you or not? There's definitely a lot more moving pieces there to consider as well.
1: That and the fact that, you know, when we go back to the original part of the discussion, we were saying it's crucial to compare returns. Retirement account or the four four blah, blah, or IRA or 401k, (laughs) all those kinds of retirement accounts that are in the IRS code that might be attached to your employer, might not be, that doesn't tell you what their turn is going to be because it's really just kind of like a little shell or bucket that you're you're putting in that has certain kinds of tax treatment, but it doesn't tell you what's in the bucket. It doesn't tell you what kind of return or what kind of risk you're taking. So you could put money into a retirement account, a 401k, and basically have it at a savings rate, which is, again, today, a real negative return or very, very low nominal return. So that's another thing. If a person's going to say, oh, I'm going to put money in a 401k instead of paying off my Twenty percent credit card, and I'm going to invest in a savings component. You know, guaranteed zero point zero 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 one percent type of return. You know, that benefit of getting some tax deduction or tax benefit really doesn't outweigh paying off that twenty percent or high interest credit card. So you have to first of all say, okay, am I am I you know investing for retirement, getting some tax benefit? But again, I want to compare the potential returns or what choices I'm making within the account.
0: Yeah. So definitely any of the investment type accounts that we're talking about today, the key to what you're doing there is the actual allocation, how you invest that account versus just saying, oh, I put money into it. Because like Mike said, it's basically just a savings account. It's just a shell until you start investing within the account.
1: Which means you could you could get you know potentially greater than 20% returns in any one particular year, maybe if you take lots of risk. But again, if you take Lots of risk, that means you may be down 20% or more in any one particular year. So a person has to kind of compare that. The key thing on the, especially 401ks, one of the reasons why we're fans of 401ks, it may sound like we're you know, being neutral or not, but we're, we're mostly fans of 401ks is because it has the additional benefit of being very systematic and automatic. One of the things that people need to do when they form good money management habits is to automatize behavior oh, I'm not going to use my credit card in this way. Oh, I'm going to go ahead and start a savings plan that just comes right out of my paycheck. I don't even have to think about it. It's automatic. And that's a huge benefit to accumulating wealth because as we all know, time just clicks by. And if you get the right habit, going in the right direction, even if it's a small one, that 401k really is going to add up quickly. So I want to make sure people realize that sometimes why, and I know this is kind of a rabbit hole, Taylor's looking at me like, just for the audience, Taylor's looking at me like, oh, here he goes again. (laughs) I I do think it's important to note that sometimes people accumulate some wealth or part of their net worth through real estate because most people will pay their mortgage, you know, and it's not a savings account. Your house isn't a savings account. It's not an investment account, really. I mean, real estate can be an investment asset and component of an investment strategy, but most people who are buying a home, paying a mortgage, need to live somewhere. So it's first of all a residence before it is an investment. But you can accumulate wealth that way, just because it's automatic. If you're a person who's like most of us, who are going to pay their mortgage down, you know, just regularly like clockwork. Well, every month you are accumulating some equity in the property. And therefore it can be a good, you know, because it's that automatic component, it, it's a positive. Yeah. Thank you for indulging me on that little.
0: <laughs> well, and that is something like you're saying, it's it, kind of falls into the category of something to save into because it's it's saving into an asset. It is a bit of debt payoff, but it is a bit of investment savings at the same time. It's kind of a hybrid. Yep. So another thing is like what we'd call non-qualified investment accounts. So When people say non-qualified, what they essentially mean is they're not under the retirement qualifications. They don't have all those regulations backing them. They likely don't have a bunch of numbers. <laughs> And so it gives them kind of some freedom for you to say, okay, I can pull this money out if I want to, I can put the money in if I want to, there are a little bit less regulations on that side. And then the tax strategy is a little different, but without going on too far of a tangent, that's where you get your joint accounts, your individual investment accounts, your trust type accounts. So similar to the retirement accounts, they are still just a shell. It's not, if you put money into your individual investment account, that doesn't mean all of a sudden you've got 10%, 20%, 30% returns. It really depends on how you invest those dollars once you put them into the account.
1: Yeah, and you're talking about sort of the ownership and individual versus a joint versus a trust, how it's owned. But usually what we're talking about, there's likely just sort of a brokerage bucket, right? A brokerage yep. account that, that someone is, you know, that you have through a brokerage firm that's allowing you to buy and sell various different kinds of investments, whether it's stocks or bonds or mutual funds or whatever it might be. It's a holding tank that doesn't have, like you said, all the tax rules. It still has tax rules. Uh, but it doesn't have the same kind of tax rules that an IRA or 401k does.
0: Yeah. And then the last one that we listed out here was the health savings types accounts. So you've got like the HSAs and the FSAs. The key thing to notice between the two of those is the FSA savings accounts are use it or lose it plan. So you can save into those systematically, similarly to the way that you would a 401k. But the issue with that is you need to make sure by the end of your fiscal year with your company, you are spending those dollars. Whereas an HSA, we kind of talk to clients about these as a super IRA, because you can save those funds and keep them there indefinitely until you're ready to use them for health expenses. But the key difference is those HSA assets that you're saving, you can also invest them. You can move them into an, an HSA investment type brokerage account and have the ability to trade them as if they were a traditional investment account.
1: And it isn't like you said, you use it or lose it. You, you can carry it forward. In fact, the reason why we call it a super IRA, you know, the industry sometimes refers to it that way is because it, it has, as long as it's going to be used for health and you're going to have some health costs in the future, it has all the the benefits that are available in terms of the tax code, both tax deductibility going in, tax deferral why it's in there, and tax-free coming out. It has all the benefits of that uh, the IRS code allows for tax benefits. That's why we call it the super IRA, and, and a person who's just starting out may not benefit too much with a HSA, but certainly if they're young and have got their act in in order with regard to some of the other retirement accounts and some of the other things that they're trying to accumulate for goal-wise mid to long-term, they should definitely consider an HSA.
0: Yeah. And if you guys want more information on HSA, FSA, those types of plans, we do have a previous podcast episode where we talk about employer savings plans. So feel free to check that out and get a little more detail or reach out to us if you have questions.
1: So how about this next thing that you've got on our list? How much, you know, how much should a person be saving?
0: Yeah. Well, so I kind of want to jump all the way back to the start where I said, okay, if your employer says, hey, I've got this great 401k, we're giving you 2%. And if you say, okay, I'm putting 2% in, I'm maximizing that account. I hate to inform you, you are not maximizing that account. And I don't mean to laugh. I just feel- You're
1: saying that they're, if they're a two percenter, not a, not a two percenter, like the one percenter <laughs> we sometimes talk about, but the, a two percenter as far as savings, they're not maximizing, they're pathetic, they're not doing a good job. You know, what are you saying?
0: I guess it really depends on what your income level is. Maybe if you're taking in multiple millions of dollars per year, then your 2% is over maxing what your maximum is. But You mean as
1: far as the IRS code?
0: Yeah, as far as the IRS code. Yeah. But if you're an everyday Joe and your employer says, hey, I'll match two or four or 6% and you say, great, I will match exactly that. Likely you are not funding that account to its full abilities.
1: And, and you're not going to have enough for retirement or your, or your goals, right? That's the big picture is you're not meeting the maximum IRS. You're not coming anywhere close to what your employer and the IRS will allow but more importantly you're not going to meet your goals at two percent and you're right they give sort of an incentive there some sometimes employers will say okay here we want you to get going here's two percent here's a three percent of free money and absolutely you want to be taking advantage of that free money that's an immediate in a sense an immediate 100 percent return on your money if you put two percent in they put two percent in well that's hundred percent that you're getting. So it's crucial to take advantage of those matches, but you're right. That won't, in most cases, meet the goal.
0: And so it really depends based on your type of retirement account, but I'm going to give you the two big common ones that you'll likely hear. So the 401k, 403b, 457, those types of accounts, the amount that you could maximize if you wanted to say, hey, how much can I put into this? Based on 2021 numbers, you could put $19,500. And so I don't know if anyone's jaw just dropped, but that is much likely much bigger than just a two percent of your salary. Even if you're making 100, 200 k, that's more than two percent of your salary.
1: Well, so what if I'm making 40 k? That's half of my income. Can I do half of my income?
0: Well, so then that gets down to okay, is the 40 k the total family income? Are you married? Do you need that 40 k to live off of, or can you live off of half of that? Come Um, on, you're making this so
1: complicated. (laughs) All of a sudden I have to go, wait, am I married or not? You're, you're, you're bringing all these things, factors in, you know, what's the interest rate? What's the tax treatment? What's the, you know, what's my marital status? This is crazy. These that's, are why <laughs> that's why I have a job. That's why we have job security and we have this knowledge. We have the magic behind what's all these, we're kind of being facetious, but that's partly why uh, people hire a financial advisor is to help them think through some of these issues. And again, if I went to your job, whoever's listening to this, and you started explaining it to me, I'd be wait, I'm, I'm confused. It's a whole new language, and that's just part of the way. Again, I can make lots of editorial comments about the IRS and how they're doing social engineering, you know, trying to figure out, okay, are you married? Then you can do this, and if you're single, you can do that. But the bottom line is, we do have an IRS, we do have a tax code, and there are certain rules, and. You can help yourself by making sure you're aware of those, either through a financial advisor or becoming self-educated on how to maximize your savings and your long-term wealth accumulation and security.
0: Yeah. Now, say you're working for an employer who maybe isn't saying, hey, I'm giving you that two or five or whatever percent. Maybe you're working for an employer who says, hey, we're a small startup. I want you to save for retirement, but I I don't have the means to do that for you yet you can still sign up for a qualified retirement account in the form of an IRA. And those accounts, if you wanted to say, how do I maximize that account? That max is at 6000 if you're under 50. And if you're 50 or above, you get what's called a catch-up. So it's essentially the IRS trying to say, hey, you can catch up on your retirement. Throw another 1000 in there.
1: So I have to take into account not only whether I'm married, but whether I'm old or not.
0: Yes. And <laughs> whether you're employed or not, because- you can't contribute to any of these if you're not bringing in income.
1: Yeah. I wanted to go back to that issue of matching yeah. and use just a quick example of where we might say a person should, even if they have debts, they should save in a 401k. So, again, going back to the example of 2%, my employer matches me 2%, and I have 20% credit card debt. And I am trying to make the choice. I can't pay off all my credit cards in a reasonable amount of time and maximize according to the IRS, that 19,000 number. But could I do 2% and get the match? And is that wiser for me to go, okay, well, some of this money I'm going to pay off my credit cards with, but some of it I'm going to go ahead and get the 2% because that's a, that's hundred percent, right? I'm getting free money. Yeah. What's your view on that?
0: So I would say definitely do what you're comfortable with in your budget. Cause maybe you can't even afford the 2% you're struggling to pay the credit card bill. I mean, it's always a huge picture, but I would definitely urge you to say, okay, if you can afford this 2% in your regular cash flow, and you can still make, hopefully, larger than just the minimum payments on your credit card, Mm -hmm. balance that out and say, okay, here's a chunk towards the 401k type account, and here's a chunk towards the credit card savings.
1: Yeah. So it's not like it's a set it and forget it. I, I, yeah. I take the 2% match because that's great. I get free money and hopefully I get even a better return by my investment choices within the 401k, but I'm also taking the balance of what I can and now have budgeted to allocate toward my credit cards. But once I've made progress on those credit cards, or maybe they're all, all paid off now, now I have to really get after it in terms of really maximizing and saving lots for my long-term goals. Yeah, That brings up another thing. Sometimes large companies have programs where you can get a discount on the company stock. These are employee stock purchase plans and they will give you a discount on the actual price of the stock. So in a sense, that's free money as well. Now, again, it depends on a person's outlook for the company, how long they're going to stay there, whether it's really a good stock in the first place, that gets much more complicated, but it can be to a person's interest, uh, certainly to take advantage of, again, that discount on, a, on a, their employer's stock purchase plan.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: You know, one point I want to make is, you know, again, there's all these sort of incentives that the IRS gives you and your employer might give you. But when we talk about the big picture of how much to save, again, I go back to that book, The Richest Man of Babylon, and it uses a figure of 10%. If you'll, if you'll just put away 10% of your gross earnings when you're, when you're a young person, uh, obviously, if you start when you're 65, putting 10% away and, and you've never saved and you've only had credit card debt and you know, you've been in hock all your life, and You start that late in life, it's gonna be very difficult. But if you start as a young person saying, okay, whatever my gross pay is, and hopefully my pay continues to go up over time, my ability to earn and my my skill set and my value to the marketplace and my employer is only growing, my income's growing, but I'm gonna always take 10% of my gross, meaning the top number, not what you know you get after the deductions, but you know, whatever your salary is, your gross salary is, and take 10% of that and put it away you'll never be a poor person. You'll likely end up being fairly wealthy, especially relative to other people. And if you do 20%, you will definitely be a wealthy person. If you make sure you save 20% of your income, that may seem like a lot, but again, it's relative to you know, what your income is and what your goals are. And if you want to accumulate wealth, accumulate more security, have more ability in the future to enjoy life in a long-term way, then those are the kinds of numbers that people should think about is 10 to 20% of their income. And there is sort of a movement of younger people who are saying, I don't want to work that long. I want to retire by the time I'm 45. And they're putting, you know, 50, 60% of their income away. They're living extremely frugally now so that they can have, you know, decades upon decades worth of quote retirement. I don't necessarily think that's healthy myself, but there are people out there who are saving 50 or 60% of their gross income. And it's doable. It's all about what choices you make today and and obviously how, how much income you earn. But the 10 to 20% should be a target for any person, in my view, for the long term.
0: Yeah, definitely. And if you can get it systematically, like we had discussed. So if you set up any kind of investment account, typically you can schedule it to say, hey, I get paid two times a month. I want that Contribution to come in those two times a month, or I get paid every other Friday. Usually you can set it up that way, whether it's, I mean, definitely if it's like a 401k employer type plan, but even traditional investment accounts, and I know this from personal experience, I set it up myself. We do this for clients all the time. So it definitely makes it easier to say from that book, he says pay yourself first. And so to say, okay, I'm paying myself first, I'm paying future me first, and then Whatever's left, that's what I have to live on.
1: Yeah, I like uh, the way you put that future me. I mean, a lot of times we tell people, we tell our clients, you know, when you're hiring us, when you're hiring a financial advisor, it's not really you who's hiring, right? It's not you who's making the decision to say, Taylor, come help me. It's that person that you're going to be 10 years from now who's saying, I want to be more secure, I want to have more options, I want to have more freedom. And so it's that person who's, in a sense, hiring. It's it's who you're going to be in the future who's saying, I'm thinking long term. We've covered a lot of ground here. You know, the, the other issues with regard to how much to save obviously boil down to, to life circumstances. Why don't you just talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, so whatever, if you're going through any kind of life change right now, you're likely gonna change what you're saving. So maybe you got a roommate, so maybe your rent cut in half because now you're splitting that bill. So that just saved you half of your rent expense. You can start saving that every month or at least save most of that every month. If you're buying a home, maybe... Maybe what you're paying for rent versus what you're paying for a mortgage is different. Maybe it's more, maybe it's less. So maybe you need to re-evaluate your budget, or maybe you have, once again, an opportunity to save. Maybe you're getting married, or you're sharing a budget with someone you're really close with. Maybe you got an inheritance. Maybe you're having kids, so now your savings need to go into college savings plans instead of just joint and retirement-type savings. So definitely look at what kind of changes are going on in your life, and that will Typically, direct where you want your savings to go and how much savings you have available.
1: Great, this is fantastic. Yeah. I, again, it's a topic I I get passionate about. It's it's really fascinating to me. It's almost like a game in my mind in terms of my personal situation or advising clients. How do we change the pieces? Every day is a new day, and it's a new day to figure out. Okay, how do I want to allocate my capital? Do I want to spend on things that I really want and need right now, or do I want to save for the future? And you know, the first thing is as Taylor pointed out, figuring out whether you have some debts versus savings, making that choice. Obviously the interest rates make a difference, which account, what kind of account, whether it's treated tax wise and so forth, what's the right account to choose. And then obviously how much, you know, what's the percentage of my income that I should be saving in these various accounts or allocating toward debt path. Does that cover it?
0: That covers it.
1: We really appreciate you listening to our podcast. We hope and invite you to follow, like, and friend us on Instagram and Facebook. You know The social media thing does help us. And if you're enjoying our podcast, please make an effort to, to share it with other people. All of our platforms are saved as Altius Financial, all one word. It's typed as all one word. And you should be able to see our logo, the Greek column, as in the profile picture for Instagram and Facebook. Now, our next week's challenge and our 53-week challenge is to reevaluate your saving strategy. When was the last bonus that you had? When was the last time you got an increase in pay? Did you increase your savings to match this increase in income? Hopefully, this week's episode was helpful to reevaluate your savings plan. And if you're interested in setting up a financial plan or have any questions, comments, thoughts, or even suggestions on future podcast episodes, don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can reach me at michael at altiusfinancial.com or taylor at taylor at altiusfinancial.com or you can also check out the website altiusfinancial.com. Thanks for joining us. Happy Friday. Make it a good one. Have a fantastic weekend.
0: Yeah. Thank you, everyone.